This is my pacifier. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise, everybody. Come on, the Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his course with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Father, we love you. We honor you. We praise you. We adore you. We bow down before you. We give your name adoration and thanksgiving for the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. Thank you for life, health, and strength, for activities of our limbs, functioning of our minds, for air to breathe, food to eat, a car to drive, gas to put in the car. Thank you, God, for all that you do for us. And, Lord, as we've come into your presence, we pray now that you would grant to us teaching clarity and, if it be your will, preaching power. Pray that you gather in the scattering thoughts that we may now focus on what you would have us to hear. Holy Spirit, speak through us. We are the clay, you are the potter. And through your word tonight, mold us and shape us and make us what you would have us to be. We hear you, we are listening, and we pray that those that have an ear to hear, that they would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you glad to be here? Amen. I am I am hippopotamus glad and elephant happy to be back at my home church in Thousand Oaks. This is my home church. I'm, I'm family, so those of you that didn't know, uh, you better ask somebody. And, and SOS, scoot over some, amen, because I'm, I'm home. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Brett, for the wonderful invitation. And I want to thank your pastor for being such a great friend. Um, he's a rare. He's a rare friend. And uh, my, my life has been enriched uh, by his friendship, his brotherhood, and uh, his generosity and and commitment to this covenant relationship. And uh, even to take it a step further, he has allowed me into the life of the people that he cares so much for. And uh, I'm just honored to be a part of your family, and thank you for, uh, brother, uh, Pastor Brett, for moving some things around to let me say something on the Lord's behalf tonight. Amen? Amen, amen. My wife could not be here tonight, so if I'm looking a little off kilter and if my hands are ashy, it's because my wife is not with me. You know, black people, we have to have lotion to stay. You know, my wife is always on me. Say amen. She is amen. I call it AKA Ash Killer. Amen. AKA Ash Killer. So she. Treats me like a little boy, so uh, she's working uh, tonight, uh, and uh, somebody has to make some money in the family. So I told her, I said, I said, you got to get out there and work because I pastor a Baptist church and get paid weekly, very weekly. <laughs> Amen. Go with me to the Word of God, to, to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. I'm going to start our discussion at verse 23 of the 10th chapter, the book of Hebrews. 
chapter 10, book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, and let's start reading at verse 23. If you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say I'm still turning. All right, all right. Amen. I know, Sister Dawn, your pages are stuck. I understand. I get it. (laughs) Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, the confession of our faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I don't want to share a fancy title tonight or a fancy subject. This verse has been resonating in my spirit for the past month. Simply because in light of all that's transpired in this country um, with uh, the Constitution of the United States or the Supreme Court validating same-sex marriage, so much going on in our world, so many things happening, the death of those precious people in the city of Charleston, South Carolina, with this laissez-faire and tolerance of sin, um, it seems as though (laughs) we live in a world where um, our country has come to a point where if you don't believe in abortion, they think something is wrong with you mentally. Um, If you're not careful, if you watch television or the news too much, you will get to a point where you start looking at yourself and trying to figure out, is something wrong with me? And uh, those of us who, who are people of faith, who believe the validity and the veracity and the, the authority of this book, we're made to feel as though we're ignoramuses. And it's very easy in this climate, in this corrupt culture, to waver in your faith, to to, to second-guess yourself, to, to, to take another look at your positions, your hope and your faith. But I simply came tonight with a very simple message that, 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 that you are the children of God. Your father did not raise you wrong. He did not teach you anything erroneous. And that his word is still yea and amen. And there's still authority and power in the word of God. And that the hope of this world and the hope of this nation, the hope of our families still lies in the word of God. I'm reminded of the verse of a song that we all know and we all have saying for many years, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and 
righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Hold fast to the profession of your faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This text is a very powerful text. It's, it's a verse that to me uh, captures the essence of the book of Hebrews. book of Hebrews is written to Christian Jews who had gone through a season of persecution. We all know that uh, during this time the church was under attack. Uh, Christians were being martyred and burned and mutilated and brutalized because of their faith. They had gone into hiding, many of them, and uh, the writer of the Hebrews, some declare or would suggest or conjecture that it's Paul, um, but I would uh, tend to say that there is some Pauline uh, tenets and language and genre to the book of Hebrews, but I believe that uh, it's written, uh, the, the, the author is anonymous because this is the, the only book dedicated to the very attack and uh, 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 essence of Christianity in its opposition to Judaism. It, it, it literally juxtaposes Judaism over and against Christianity. The reoccurring theme in this book is the word better. Let everybody say better. It, it, it says that Christ is better than the old Jewish system that ossifies us and, and binds us to the legalism that Judaism seeks to bind the people of God in. It, it says that Christ is better, and all of the tenets of Judaism compares it to who Jesus is. He's better than the sacrificial system. It's better than the law. Christ is better than the old priestly order. Christ is better. And what I love about our faith is that it is better when you look at Judaism in its, in its essence. Christianity, if in fact Christianity is the perfection or the completion of Judaism, we know that it is better. I, 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 I look at myself. Anybody ever take a, 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 a stroll down memory lane? Have you ever looked at your old pictures? Back in the 60s? Oh, come on now. Amen. You were looking like hippies. And, and, and I was looking like power to the people with my afro, you know. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and and, and, and we, how we were dressed. And, and, and you look at yourself now and you say, Lord, have mercy. I'm so glad that God has delivered me. Uh, don't you look better today than you used to look? We, we live better. We, we feel better because everything about Christ makes you better. Thank you for it, Father. And so here in this particular text, 
here in this particular text, we get to a place in chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12. The writer of the Hebrews essentially says that in Christ we have a better faith. Chapter 10 is a description of this better faith. Chapter 11 deals with the definition of this better faith. And in chapter 12, we see the display of this better faith. Here we find that the writer of the Hebrew says, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Three suppositions here. First of all, First of all, there is a possibility that we can waver in our faith. We must understand here that, that, that there is something, secondly, that can make you waver. And finally, we see what can keep us from wavering. Notice verse number 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much as more as you see the day approaching. He says we can become steadfast, stable, secure in our hope, in our faith, when we understand that our assembly, our gathering, our commitment to assembling with the people of God is what can strengthen and fortify our faith. Doesn't matter how smart you are, how deep you are, how insightful you may be, how discerning you can be in the word of God. There's something about the assembling with the people of God that strengthens your hope. No man is an island. No man can live in faith, in hope, with a, with a hermit strategy. You're not born to be alone. You are born to live in the context of the community of faith. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And I know that the church has gotten a bad reputation and you have these scoffers and skeptics who say that there are so many hypocrites in the church. But when it's all said and done, the church is the best thing that ever happened to the people of God. Amen. I, I don't care what happens. I need the church. I, I need to remain committed to the church. I, I have to make sure that I make my way to the assembly of the upright. I have to get into a place where I understand that God uh, keeps me in a position to survive because the church is the best thing for the believer. No matter what happens, and I'm going to stay in the church. You know, put me out. God speak. You can put somebody at the door and tell them, Huggins, don't come in. I'm going to come through the side door. Because the ch I, I need the church. I need you. You need me. We need each other. And weak, I'm going to stay. You understand me, I'm going to stay. You don't understand me, I'm going to stay. Come on, you misunderstand me, I'm going to stay in this assembly. You, you can't stand me, I'm going to stay. Because my ability to remain steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, lies in my ability to stay with the people of God. 
if you remain detached and you find yourself watching soap operas all day and watching CNN and all of the different various news channels, they will make you think, as I said in my introductory words, that something is wrong with you. We need each other to affirm our faith. Notice verse number 26. He says, he says, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Notice the text. The text says that sin, willful sin, will make you waver in your faith. Sin destabilizes. Sin uproots. Willful sin postures you in a position where you doubt that the faith that tells you that sin is sin can no longer become a unifying part of, 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 of your person. Willful sin destabilizes you. And notice he says here, notice he says here, he says, after you have received the knowledge of the truth. The, what, what, what is truth? And, and, and here's why we have such a problem with sin. Because we've forgotten and we've dismissed our understanding of truth. What, 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 what is truth? We know that truth is a verifiable, indisputable fact. A fact that cannot be changed. We, we know what truth is. But, 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 but a good practical uh, application or definition of truth is, is this. Truth is an objective, eternal standard, which is standard to all reasonable people. An objective, eternal standard, which is standard to all reasonable people. Now, here's the problem. If truth is objective, if truth is, is digested and understood and comprehended by reasonable people, it says to me that the only way that truth can, can, can be dismissed is when we change truth from that which is objective to that which is subjective. And when we deal in the area of subjective truth, we change our understanding of what God's word. I believe that this Bible is objective truth. It is not left up to interpretation. It is not left up to how I feel. It is not left up to, to how the winds of the culture changes. It is not left up as smart as I think I am. I cannot become a person who can subjectively change what truth is. The word of God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Hallelujah. Watch, watch, watch what else he says. In verse number 28, he says, Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three. Of how much more punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? 
when sin takes control and we willfully with our subjectivity go against the objective truth of the word of God we then insult the spirit of grace and nothing can become stable in your life. Watch this. Hallelujah. Paul put it like this. Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, no, God forbid. How we then that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The more we subjectivize truth, the more we insult the grace of God. And we are saved by grace. His amazing grace saves us. And I will not take the grace of God for granted. He's been too good. He's been too kind. He's been too merciful. His blood was too precious for me to take it for granted. And when I do that, I destabilize and my faith becomes wavered. Notice what he says in verse number 31. In verse 31, he says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here, 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 here's the challenge here. We become destabilized when we don't fear God. Okay, okay. Here, here's, the, here's the challenge in America. The challenge in America is that corporately, collectively, so many people have lost the fear of God. We glory in our shame. We, we, we have become so callous to sin and so tolerant of ungodliness that, that, that God doesn't even factor in the equation in which we evaluate who, who, who we are or what, or what sin is. Glory to God. He, I don't understand. This, this, this gay pride and, 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 and those of us who, who stand on the word of God are called homophobic. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of, how can I be afraid of something that God calls sin? <laughs> he says, he says, he says, we have devolved and deteriorated to a place where we no longer fear God. Paul says we glory in our shame. Notice verse number 32. Watch this. Here's how we become vulnerable. Here's how we become vulnerable to wavering. Verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were eliminated, illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. Somebody help me say suffering. There was a possibility of wavering when we become vulnerable to suffering. And we suffer when we have been enlightened. When we get to a place where we understand what truth is and we begin to live in truth and operate in truth and celebrate truth, suffering becomes the inevitable thing. Suffering is so 
much of a part of the believer that if you don't learn to suffer, if you don't learn to take up your cross and suffer for his name, your faith really doesn't matter and it doesn't you become literally irrelevant. Suffering does three things. It teaches us, it tests us, it 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 tenderizes us, it toughens us. Suffering helps us to validate our faith. Secondly, notice what he says, and I'm almost finished. Notice what he says in verse 33. He says, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. We become vulnerable to wavering, not only because of suffering, but notice the text. The text says that we were made a spectacle. Somebody help me say a spectacle. Amen. I'm, I'm wearing specs right now. With, you know, it, it allows me to see. When, when we suffer, watch this, when we suffer, we literally become a spectacle to the world. They're watching us. They're gazing, perhaps your rendering says, they're gazing at you. You become a gazing stock. And my brothers and sisters, we waver. We have a, a propensity to waver when we suffer and when we are cognizant of the fact that somebody's watching us. Let me, let me just whisper this message in your ear. If you, are a prof if you profess faith, if you are a child of God, if you are committed to the covenant, somebody's watching you. You become a spectacle. And the world is watching us. The church, the world is watching us. They want to see how we're going to react. They're going to see if we'll waver. They're, they want to see if we will shift gears and will flow with the flow of this corrupt culture. They're, they're watching us. But I came to encourage you tonight. Hold on to the profession of your faith. Don't waver. Allow the world to see that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Allow the world to see that we will stand on the truth, that this is an objective truth that cannot be altered because we hold on to a great faith, and our faith is indeed better. Notice the text, and I'm almost finished. Notice the text. The text says, you know, Baptist preacher says that at least five times before he finishes so on. No, no, notice, no, notice the text. He says, while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and while you became companions of those who were so treated. Watch this. When you suffer and when you become a spectacle, because of your faith, Accept the fact and just know that you're not alone. Hallelujah. That's good news. Because if my faith is worth holding on to, I know that there's someone who will share my faith and who'll go through with me. That's why we're here together tonight. That, that, that's why we assemble. That's why we must make our way to the house of God. Because someone is being lied on just like you. Somebody is suffering because of their faith as you. Someone has been dismissed and made to feel less than who God has called them to be.
because of their faith. And you need to hear a testimony of strength from someone who has overcome. Verse number 34. For you had, be, for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Hallelujah. Watch this, and I'm done. We are able to hold fast the profession of our faith in spite of suffering, in spite of sin being all around us, in spite of becoming a spectacle, but also in spite of the spoilings that happen around us. Spoilings. It is, it is essentially an agricultural term, which says that I've planted, I've watered, I've received the harvest, and I'm ready now to benefit from my labor. But before what I have planted and harvested gets to the marketplace, it spoils on me. Everything that I've done, all the work that I've committed myself to, the success that I've experienced, I'm not able to receive benefit from it because it's spoiled on me. My brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you tonight because all of us at some point in our lives have felt a sense of spoiling. You, you've labored. You've given. You've shared. You've worshipped. You've trained your children. You, you've given your life to those noble causes. And sometimes all that we have done seems to seems to have gone in vain. But thanks be to God, even if it seems like it's spoiled on us, God will never forget your labor of love. I, 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 I stand here as a living testimony that um, I felt the pain of spoiling, having raised my son, having been a great father, tried to be there, do everything possible to do what he needed in his life to, from his father. But he chose to go the wrong way. And it felt like everything that I did for him spoiled on me. You, you've been in a marriage. Some of us have gone through the pain of divorce. And, and you've given your life to your husband for several years. You've been a good wife to him. And he decided that he wanted to go another direction. And all of your giving and sharing spoiled on you. Hallelujah. Oh, oh yes, let, let me lighten up on this. You, 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 you were 50. You were with him until you were 50. And then he decided that he wanted to trade you in for 225s. <laughs> All of us have gone through a period where all that we've given has been unappreciated, even in ministry. We've been, we've been members of churches. Some of you have attended churches where you've given and you shared your gifts 
And all that you've given seems to have gone unappreciated. But let me remind you and encourage you, don't, don't waver because what you have given has gone uh, to seem to have gone on death ears. Don't, don't get discouraged. Don't get weary in well-doing. You'll reap if you faint not. God will not forget you when others, when others forget. He'll remember and he will not allow it to destroy you. Don't allow this issue of spoiling to throw your hands up and give up. Hold on to the profession of your faith without wavering. Because when you've gone through spoiling, when you've gone through becoming a spectacle, when you have suffered, remember this, my brothers and sisters, that he who promised is faithful. God is still faithful. He's still a loving God. He still will allow you to reap what you sow. He will not forget who you are. Mystery may engulf you and sorrows may distress you and sickness may weaken you. But don't forget that he is still Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Shalom. He is still the God who comforts and cares, and he will not allow you, as the verse says here, he will not allow you to cast away your confidence because your reward is coming. Hallelujah. David put it like this, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, my enemies, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumble and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. I will not waver because I stand on the word of God. He who promised is faithful. He will never change. Great is his faithfulness to those that will not waver. Father, we love you. We praise you. We honor and give you glory for the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. And now, as we seek to give proper application to this word. I pray that when we leave this place tonight, we will know that you're faithful. That whatever the enemy sets before us that can, can challenge us and tempt us to waver that we can overcome. Help us to continue to profess our hope. Confess that you are who you say you are. That you're not a man that you should lie. Know the Son of Man that you should repent. If you spoke it, you'll do it. If you said it, you'll make it good. We give you praise for being the God who never changes and who is faithful. We bless you for it in Jesus' name. Come on and give God a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Come on, give him some praise for being a faithful God. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. If you know he's faithful, shout hallelujah. Glory to God.